Hope you are having a fantastic morning so far. I hope your connection groups have been a way for you to fellowship with one another and to grow deeper in God's Word. By the way, if you're not involved in a connection group, um, we invite you to take that next step and be involved in one. And uh, you may have questions. Do you have to be a church member to be involved in a connection group? No, you do not. It is open to anyone and everyone, and uh, we want to help them with their questions. And uh, just as we offer people to take a next step here at the end of our worship gatherings, we want you to know that we provide open opportunities to take that next step if you're looking to grow. And so today we're going to be looking at next steps. What happens after God gives the Ten Commandments? And we're looking together at the book of Exodus and this this overarching theme from the book of Exodus as of redemption. And specifically, God as the Redeemer and His people being the redeemed, living in redemption. And we are going to be launching into perhaps the difficult territory that happens right after the Ten Commandments. Because some people, they can kind of get through the narrative when they're reading through the Bible, if they've started a challenge, if they will, to read the beginning of the Bible. They can get through Genesis pretty well. There's stories that kind of flow. Every now and then they meet some points that might be a little difficult to understand. And then they'll get through Exodus and they're like, all right, story, narrative, got it. It's telling me what's happening. And then we're going to get to chapter 21, right after the Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden there's this standstill moment. You start reading and you're like, this is different from how I live my life. This is different from how I pretty much know everyone else lives their life. And there is a lot of law. There is a lot of codes of conduct. And I don't understand it. And as I keep flipping to see when this is going to be over, to see how much I get through, it seems like it just keeps going. What's the deal with that? How am I supposed to learn from that? Obviously, it is God instructing still His people So we're going to look at that today as the Redeemer instructs His people about holiness and wholeness together as His people, together with Him as God, together in their lives. What does this look like? And we're going to just take off where we left last week at the end of of the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Uh, It gives us a good launching point for these next four chapters we're aiming to cover today. So would you stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word? We're going to be in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. You can certainly follow along in your copy of God's Word. And if you need a Bible, there's some in the pew there. Um, You can follow along electronically. But this is what the Word says. It'll also be on the screen behind me. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Then the Lord told Moses, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I have spoken to you from the he- from heaven. Do not make gods of silver to rival me. Do not make gods of gold for yourselves. Make an earthen altar for me 
and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your flocks and herds, and I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. And if you make a stone altar for me, do not build it out of cut stones. If you use your chisel on it, you will defile it. And do not go up to my altar on steps so that your nakedness is not exposed on it. Yes, I added that last word that's already in the Word for your entertainment. Let us pray. Lord God, today we've read a portion of what we are about to step into today. For some, this stepping forward and knowing Your Word is going to be incredibly challenging because it may not be familiar to anything they've ever heard or known before and can leave us with incredible anxiety and questions. And Lord, I pray You would help us to see that is okay for us to have questions with You, to have a hunger to know You, but not yet know which way that might be. For some in this room, God, it will bring a familiarity to things that they have heard before, read before, heard preached before, seen written before. But don't let that familiarity, God, distance us from what we need to know today. Help us to know that You present Yourself consistent with who You are, but fresh as the same in the new way so that we may know You. And that when we read this Word, help us to understand though it was penned by the hands of men, it was inspired, authoritative, a gift of grace spoken from Your lips. A gift of Your love to help change our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our goal, as always, when it comes to the Word, is we want to help people understand what it says, what it means, how it applies, and giving people the opportunity to respond to what we're going to do about it. And not, those things are not necessarily all the same. What it says is obviously being able to read and, and take um, this treasure for what it is, a gift of God's grace to us, and, and be able to read it. Not every country in the world has that availability and has it so accessible. But uh, the second is not just what it says, what it means. Not trying to insert our 21st century, Americanized, even Baptist fried version of it, but find out what is the meaning that God intended when He first gave it. Because that meaning does not change. It never changes. But we will see not only what it means from then, but how it applies today. And so those are the two different areas there. But we need to also be understanding that when we read the Word, God is going to call us to a choice, call us to a response to what He has revealed. And so we need to understand the gravity of that. And seeing what it says and, and what it means, we, we see that it's, this was words that were penned by the hands of Moses, but it was given to us by God. And, and these first five books of the Bible are this retelling of the beginnings, the origin of what God had done to start this world and His creation of the heavens and the earth, that it all began with Him. But it's also bringing it down to where it it influences us. It brings us and draws us into a relationship with Him and, and the history of what He has done for His people. Moving through the line of Abraham and 
Isaac and Jacob and the lineage that continues on and then moving into how they got with Joseph into Egypt and then how they are delivered after 400 years of oppression by the hands of Moses, but more importantly by the strong arm of God. Moses writes this so that people understand this is why God has done this. This is who He is. This is what He has said and this is what it means for our life and today as we look at this instruction we get to these laws that can sometimes be confusing these laws that are the aftermath flowing after the ten commandments what do they mean when we ask yourself what further knowledge could we gain from this redemption instruction if i have the ten commandments isn't that enough for me to have a grasp on god's holiness have a grasp on what i must do and what i must not do uh, I would say yes and no. Obviously, it's enough to utter and bring forth to a person to response because Jesus even did this with the rich young ruler and the teacher that tested him and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus quoted the Ten Commandments. It was enough to utter a, a response. But it is not enough to know what the full, whole, holy life of God and if God followers looks like. For that, we need the rest of the story, if you will. A good Paul Harvey statement. We need to see the rest of the, the Scripture. Now, when we get to these laws, you're going to see things that are really unique. And some of them, as I said, they're puzzling to us. Because some of these things we don't even operate with. Uh, I, I know that many of you probably don't have to worry about uh, where your servant is today. Even me saying that has probably made some of you cringe that that's just not the thing to say in this day and age, in this culture, talking about a servant. But the Bible speaks about this, and we're going to look at what that means. But then there's also the, the argument that, that you may have faced, that you may have come in contact with, when people say, why should you follow the entirety of Scripture when... Christians today don't follow the entirety of Scripture. Why are Christians so focused on some of these moral rules, these moral laws that, that, that God has given, and yet these other laws that God has given you don't abide by anymore? It's, that can be confusing, right? And it's one of the um, arguments that is brought about today for people to push back and say, hey, um, you want this because you said the Bible says so, but the Bible says this and you don't do that. What's the difference? We're going to look at that. So when we get into this, these rules ahead, I want you to understand four major things. Four little precursors, if you will. Uh, you ever go to the gym? I do very infrequently. Um, I need to go more. But they, my trainer has said before you exercise, you need to have the exercise before you exercise. The warming up, the stretching, the getting your heart to the right beat and, 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 and to the place where it needs to be so that whenever you get to the exercises, it actually maximizes the potential of the exercise. So you have these warm-ups. This is what this is today. Is we're trying to learn, this is the, the, the pre-knowledge moment that you need to have. First is this. The law of the Lord is based on the special covenant relationship between the redeemed and the Redeemer. The law of the Lord is based on the special covenant relationship between the redeemed and the Redeemer. Why is that necessary? 
Because you need to see that while the law judges all, it is specifically for those who are in relationship with God already. While the law judges all and will leave it leaves a reckoning for all, it is specifically for those who already have a relationship with the Redeemer, who have already experienced His redemption. It's who it's for. Secondly, the law of the Lord is meant to teach us more about the holy character of God. In other words, it's meant to, to move us to beg the question, what does this teach me about God? It's meant to teach us more about His holy character. And so in, in that area, we, we need, there's a few things we need to understand before we even really move forward from number two, is that we must understand that God is showing the Israelites who He is who he has always been and who he will always be. So that they can have that understanding as opposed to where the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years in a very polytheistic society that some life was valued and some wasn't. That, that it would be different from where they had been before and it would be different from where they were going ahead. That while Egypt was considered the greatest of societies of the time, God revealing His character was going to show He far exceeds how the Egyptians even lived. And as the people were going to go into that land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they were going to go to a new place. And the theories of the time, the the viewpoints of the time was, you worship the gods where they are. And they were going to go to a place that, Every single one of the Israelites had never been before. Every single one of them. And now they're going to go to this place and they're going to see people that are worshiping their gods in those places, in their ways. And God is saying, that is not how you are to live. I'm making a distinction between where you have been and where you are going. And yet I am constant in all of those. The law of the Lord is meant to teach us more about the holy character of God. Thirdly, the law of the Lord isn't just some arbitrary suggested codes of conduct. That's not what it is. They clarify what God meant in the Ten Commandments applied to specific scenarios. I know that's a lot of words, more writing than usual up there on the screen, but this will give you some time. When I went to school in uh, New Albany, Mississippi, every year at the beginning of the year, the, the paper, the New Albany Gazette, would post the New Albany's Public Schools Code of Conduct. We have a clever way of naming it. It's New Albany this, New Albany that, New Albany this. Um, and every year, the Code of Conduct would be uh, just a little bit tweaked. Basically, looking back on what had happened the past year, they would add some new rules or adjust and clarify some other rules. And sometimes we would open that up and be like, Really? Chewing bubblegum is a utter offense, really? We would just seem like that was such an arbitrary rule. Like, that's just not necessary. And then you would have the dress codes, and there was always the little pushback, like, oh, I can't find clothes like that or that kind of stuff, and dress codes. And I have, a, I, I believe dress codes have their, their, their reasons. Um, they're good for certain areas, for sure. Um, namely, that we wear clothes. That's a pretty good dress code That's a, that I, I appreciate. Um, but then 
I believe sometimes people take these scenarios that they have in life. Maybe you have a policy and procedure manual at your workplace that you're required to read and check off that you read. And sometimes you read through that and like, really? This has to be written down? That we need to know this? That just seems arbitrary. It seems useless. It seems like it's, it, that should go without saying. But the commands of God are meant to take the Ten Commandments and then say, here is the overall law of the Ten Commandments, these ten first words, but this is them applied in the specific scenarios that you will face. God in His wisdom, in His providence, in His all-knowingness, put together before the people ever face the situation what to do in that situation based on what He had already said and based on who He was. So the law is broken down. These laws are broken down into three areas. One is the civil law. This would be uh, deal with disputes between individuals and deal specifically with the Israelite government, how it was to run as a nation. Uh, it was meant to talk about what they do with the poor, how to handle livestock, uh, how to deal with children, how to face their debt as a people, how to handle divorce, dress and attire, how to not live with hate in their heart, how to deal with inheritance passing from one generation to the next, dealing with justice, dealing with kidnappings, dealing with landmarks and boundaries, dealing with property redemption whenever people would move or someone would die, uh, dealing with murder or killing, deal, dealing with scales in commerce and economics, dealing with robbery, extortion, false witness, restitution. Dealing with keeping the Sabbath holy. Dealing with theft. Dealing with warfare. The majority of these laws, while there are some moral laws in them, were all about what it meant for the Jewish people as a nation distinct from other nations in that time and place. And with the demise of the Jewish nation in the first part, the exile, the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., the southern kingdom in 587 B.C., and then the entirety of the kingdom overruled in 70 A.D. With that, the civil structure for the Jewish nation expired. The civil laws. Some of those are moral. The second set of laws were ceremonial laws. What do you mean with those? Well, these were the, the, the laws about being clean or unclean, holy or not holy, atoned for or not. These dealt with the offerings. These dealt with the cleanliness. This dealt with how to help with someone that was battling leprosy or, or the observance of certain feasts and festivals or the laws on animals for food or the law about the day of atonement or offerings or, or, or with priests and how they're consecrated or their duties and their regulations, and their sacrificial offerings, the various that they were. These are spelled out through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But here's the thing, we don't practice those anymore. Why? Because the Bible says the only distinction between clean and unclean are those that know Christ and have followed Him and those who have not yet. And that is the only clear distinction. So with Christ being the fulfillment of the law, the ceremonial law, has passed away. And if you ever read the book of Hebrews, this is what that is always uh, all about. It's saying this is how Christ is greater, how Christ is better, how Christ has fulfilled and ultimately completed that which was insufficient from the law. 
So you have two law, sets of laws kind of already moved away. But then you have that last one, the one that has no expiration, and that is the moral law. Going back to the topics of idolatry, about loving God, about loving your neighbor as yourself, about uh, being uh, keeping away from oppressing your neighbor, or stealing, or bearing false witness, or the sacrifice of children, or, or uh, sexual sins, whether they be in the variety. Uh, these are all moral laws that have never had an expiration date. Why? Because the holiness of God is still to be pursued by His people. That's why there's a distinction. That's why we, we talk about, you know, why is it that you, you want to follow the law about this morality, but you, you, you're okay eating shellfish because there was a command not to eat shellfish. It's because the ceremonial, the uncleanliness laws are abolished. Because the civil law is not there. And, and be careful. We, I'll get this in a minute. I'll be here just a minute. But the moral law still stands. And be glad that moral law still stands. There are conversations today that go around that says you cannot legislate morality. And yes, you can. And yes, we do. And you are very glad that we do. You're very glad that we have moral legislature that says just because someone cuts you off in traffic, someone can't come beat your head in with a baseball bat and be like, oh, I'm just sorry, I lose my head. There's no law against it though. No, there's a law. You do not kill. You abide by traffic and, and, and helping for the betterment of one another. We do it all the time. And it's based on what God has said is good already. Most of them go back to that law. That's the third precursor. The fourth is this. The law of the Lord must be learned and filtered through responsible, Christ-centered, new covenant application. What do I mean by that? We are not to throw this out completely. We're not to say, well, Jesus has come and, 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 and that Israel, the theocracy of Israel, no longer exists. There is an Israel that exists, but it's not the same Israel of the Bible. Um, we, we, we don't come back and say, just do away with it. I'll just read the New Testament only. That's not the way. We need to learn it. It's a part of the, the ultimate uh, weaving of God's Word together for a purpose. But we learn it through a new filter. I've often talked about this, that I am blind as a bat. I, I, I am terrible at my sight without my glasses. Everything I see must be filtered through these lenses. I'm thankful that I have them because I can see people clearly and they're not just blobs in the room. Whenever I read from a distance, it's not just blobs on a page. I can read pretty close if I get to right here. This is how close I would have to be to read my Bible, guys. It's pretty bad. But they help me have a filter through which I see the world. Now, when we look back on this, we're looking back through the filter of the cross, through the filter that is Jesus. We live on the other side of what He did, who He was, what He paid, what He accomplished, and what He completed. We live on the other side of that. And so anytime we look back into the Bible beyond, before that, it always must be filtered as we learn it through responsible Christ-centered New Covenant application. That we deal with it responsibly. We don't act careless with it. We see what Christ is about in it. And we see what we have now because of Christ in this New Covenant relationship. Remember, the law of the Lord is a special covenant 
between Him as the Redeemer and His redeemed people. So we don't throw it out completely. Also, we don't try to rise up with a coup or a military goal and say, hey, we need to overthrow all rules of the government and go back to the laws of the Bible. Um, God is not trying to establish Israel in America. I, I hope you know that right. I hope you do. If you want to have a conversation about that, we can have a conversation about that later. But we would be very, very angry. And rightly so. In fact, I've seen on Facebook posts when someone of another faith or another religion says, I want to take all the laws of my holy book and make that the utter law of the land. I've seen the Facebook posts from various places around the country. And some of them are utterly just bogus. They didn't really actually happen in Michigan, but people believe it happened in Michigan. That this city has gone completely to Sharia law. No, no it hasn't. Never has. It's not even on the books. It's a total myth. But we rise up about that because we would never want that. And God has not put us towards that. The whole purpose of Israel in the Bible was to bring about the fulfillment and be a distinct nation that will ultimately bring us Jesus. Jesus has been brought. And now the new kingdom is about us magnifying His message, not multiplying His territory. We must be careful of that. We must filter it through the Gospel of what God has done to reveal His character, to show us the offense of sin, to bring about the sufficiency of Christ and how He's so far greater and better, to show us what it means for our personal responsibility, not only individualistically, but corporately as a people. We must see what that means in eternal urgency, how it changes our destiny, and how it transforms our life today. That's just the warm-up. That's just the warm-up. Anytime we read the Bible, those things, you may say, that's a lot to carry with me, Pastor. I don't want to carry that burden. I'm not asking you to carry the burden. I'm asking you to get used to learning in a new way. That God says, this is what is bringing back transformation. Not just encouragement to make you feel warm squishies. Or entertainment to be like, that was a good message or a good story. Or just to bring a little bit of knowledge or to have your spiritual checklist, but that life may be transformed by God opening our eyes to see Him and what His Word teaches us about Him and how that is applied to life. But what further insight? What further knowledge? What is the exercise, the ultimate exercise? Well, the first thing we can do is learn from the words of the invisible Redeemer. Just as God is telling us about His character, we must learn the words of the invisible Redeemer. Here's the important part. God was making all kinds of visible examples of His presence being among the people of Israel. But you know what they did not see? They did not see the very form of God. They saw the, the examples of Him being in the room and being around, but they didn't see like, oh, He looks like this and that kind of thing. They heard trumpets, they saw fire, they heard lightning and thunder. It, it, was, it was amazing, but they didn't see that. But they heard His Word. And it scared them. It terrified them. But as a reminder, of a rule of this exercise, sometimes when I look at the exercise machines, they tell us this is the right way to use it. Because sometimes I'll get on there and I'll be like, well, I think I do this and I pull this. And then, uh, then later on I'm like, oh, I pulled this instead. Um, it, there's some exercises that have rules. 
This one is we can only really learn when we really listen. Did you know that? Of course we know that. We tell our kids all the time, you weren't listening. I've heard it said, I've had it said to me so many times as a child, and I would be the first to say, I've said it many times. I've said it to my children, I've said it to students, I've said it to neighbors, and, and sometimes I don't say it really like I say it to other people, but, you know, I'm like, yeah, but were you listening? You say you're learning, but are you really listening? We must carefully listen and apply God's instruction in worship. And specifically, when it comes to worshiping God as He decides for us to worship Him. For the people of Israel here, they had a specific way that they were going to worship Him. This is before a tabernacle was ever built up. This is before a temple was ever set, situated. And, and the people there, they didn't know how to respond, but something told them that I don't need to keep two distance. I recognize there is a difference between me and God. But I want to worship Him. And I want to follow what, you, what He's saying. Moses, tell me how. And God gave them a way. A way that was a pattern shaped before them by their ancestors. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, where they went, they built altars. This is what God said for them. He says, first of all, if you're going to worship me, you're going to keep it simple. You're going to take simple earthen rock, not any precious metal, not anything that can be melded, not anything glitzy or glamorous, just rock and dirt. And on top of that, you're going to place wood. Nothing huge. It's going to be very very simple. And you're going to take that and, and, and build these, these altars for burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Burnt offerings would be to, to say, I got am, am presenting something innocent to, to be in the, the place of my sin. A fellowship offering was a way of saying, here's something that I, you've provided for me and I want to thank you for it. Those were the two different offerings. But they were to keep it simple. But they were also to keep it modest. Keep it modest. It says, don't make gods of silver or to rival me or, or make gods of gold for yourselves. You're to keep it simple made out of this, but you're not to, to go something super extravagant, something super showy, but to keep it pure and wholesome, to keep it close. You're to keep it near. That this is something that you can carry with you wherever you go. It's not something that you're going to leave behind here at Sinai and never be able to return and visit. You can set this up anywhere. But also you must keep it sacred. Last line, it says, uh, you know, don't build steps up to the altar where they would be offering these, these uh, sacrifices. You, you know why? Because most of the people wore robes then. They didn't want the hospital gown syndrome, you know, where you're feeling a little draft and everybody's like, oh no, don't want to look at, didn't, didn't want to see that. In fact, in the Bible, God even prescribes to the priests, hey, by the way, you're going to put some undergarments on under that outfit I'm preparing for you so that this doesn't become a problem. That you don't think that your worship is all about, woo, I'm free, look at me. No one wanted to think about that. I know, I'm sorry. No, worship was meant about keeping it simple, that it was more about magnifying God than ourselves. It was meant to be keeping modest. It wasn't about being showy or gimmicky. 
It was about keeping it near, that, that it was supposed to be something close, that, that God was saying, I'm not preparing, and, and Mount Sinai is going to be the only place that you're going to be able to worship, because you're going to go to the promised land, and that would mean every time you need to worship, you're going to take miles and miles and weeks and weeks to get back here to worship me. No, I'm going to go with you and be near. But it's also to be sacred. Do not miss out on the importance of this activity of worship. So if you're going to do it right, learn from my words. And though you do not see me, listen to the words that you do hear from me. Second exercise, live according to the words of the just Redeemer. Now here's the rule in this. The enforcing of these good laws, and they are good laws, can never ever guarantee a perfect utopian society, but it does give us order and direction and it prevents anarchy or chaos rule. It gives us that. And this, these laws of God were given to the people, but they couldn't obey them. They couldn't keep them. They couldn't follow them. It shows how it was impossible to have it all together. Not because God's laws are too hard. It's because we are too stubborn. And we will try to find every single loophole we can. Don't believe me? How many of us are content this time of year to say, oh, the government says I owe this much. I'll just throw that at them. No. We're going to look for every single loophole we can because it's legal. That's the one thing. Only use legal loopholes. But secondly, we're stubborn. No, I'm not doing that. You can't tell me that. People would find that way with God. And in here, God would say, well, these are the laws on servitude, on, on servants. This is what it's meant to look like. Some people really oppose, automatically see that come up and all, the, the alarms start going off, the sirens. Uh, this, the Bible is not woke. It is not good because it automatically talks about slavery and, and servitude. But I want you to understand, once again, if you're filtering back, do not just filter this in the, the period of the last 150 to 200 years of American culture. That this slavery and servitude that the Bible speaks of was nothing, to be nothing like what happened in the American South and even parts of the American North. It was not at all to be like what we call chattel slavery. It was a way of paying your debts that, that you would go to someone wealthy and say, this is how much I owe, this is how much I need. And they would go and they would put themselves in servitude. Or they would go and say, I want to marry your daughter. I have no money, but I will work for you for seven years to pay for the right to marry her. I.e. Jacob. This was the type of servitude. It was them saying, I willingly, voluntarily put myself in this position for a certain, certain period of time. And once it was paid, it was over. Servitude in the Bible always had a reason for the beginning and a way out. This is not the slavery that we talk about in the American time frame before the Civil War. And there were laws on how that would be taken care of. And, and the, the burden, the, over, the need for control and, and direction for those who had the means to have servitude. There would be laws on conduct, what it meant to, to deal with someone who committed homicide and what it was different from manslaughter when it was an accidental killing. 
and what it meant to bring justice. It would have laws about assault in the home. Sometimes people read that and they say, oh man, if someone slapped their mama, they'd be put to death. That's not what it's talking about, guys. The idea is striking. Striking with the intent to physically harm in a way that could kill them, could injure them, could batter them. In that way, someone that was battering their family, yeah, they were deserving of death in the moment. That's what it was against. The guy was against this domestic abuse. God was against kidnapping and abducting those and taking them to a faraway land. God was against these various uh, injuries and scenarios, but He knew that these things were going to happen, and so He ruled on them to clarify what we do. He showed us what to do if someone falls into a pit on your land or if they're injured by an animal. He shows us what to do about amending wrong and making restitution when it needs to happen. He showed us laws on social justice. I know it's a big word in today's language, but I can't see any other way around it and speaking about it when God says, this is what you are to do for the foreigner, not against. This is what you are to do for the widow, not against. This is what you are to do for the orphan, not against. This is what you are to do for the poor, not against. This is what you are to do for the authorities, not against. This is what you're even to do for the enemies. God gives us laws as His people, saying as people that have experienced redemption from a Redeemer, this is what it means for the redeemed to live it out in a way of holiness and wholeness together. He gives us laws on how to set up the week and the year. These are these laws that are from chapters 21 through 23. Yeah, you get inundated with them and sometimes it'll start saying one law, then it'll go to another one, and then it'll come back to the law you read before. But all of this is God applying it to these scenarios, letting us know that holiness and worship of the Lord is not excluded to some compartmentalized part of our life. It will affect everything. And if it is not affecting everything, we are only half Hearted, halfway, partially worshiping the Lord. And that is not genuine worship. Third exercise be led by the words of the wise Redeemer. Chapters 23 through 24. This is the rule that's in place. The place where we encounter God is only the beginning. The aftermath means following His will. In other words, God didn't stop giving His word and giving His direction at the end of the Ten Commandments. He says, This is what it's going to look like going forward from here. That there is not some, all right, you just get to this point and that's the stopping point and you go no further. He says, no, I'm going with you all the way and I'm asking you to go with me. And as you do, to follow His promise that He was going to take them to a land that though it was already inhabited by multitudes of people and they were doing some very terrible things, God had given them time to repent and to come to a place of worshiping Him, but they had refused. This is why the Bible speaks in the book of Genesis that the reason that they will, your people will be in the land of Egypt for 400 years is because the wickedness of these other people has not risen to the ultimate moment. That God was extending grace to them and now God was going to push them out. But the people of Israel, the redeemed, who had seen the rescue of God, they needed to move forward on that promise with belief, That God, that has done all that He has done before, will continue to do all He says ahead. 
that they would move forward with obedience, that God, who has done this for me, has called me to do this, and I will follow. And that God, who has made the promise, will also provide blessing. And, and even if that blessing takes waiting, it is worth it when we get there. That's a hard one for me. That's a really hard one for me. I'm, I, I like the instant gratification, microwavable popcorn, you know, pay at the pump kind of life that I get to live. I do. Man, I want to watch something on TV. I ain't got to go home. I don't have to record it anymore. I can pull it up on my phone. I love having almost everything here and now. It's a cool place and time that we live in. And that makes waiting hard. That makes the lessons of God saying worship is sometimes about waiting and following of a belief and obedience, knowing that blessing may not come in that very moment, but it will come. When it came to the conquest in the land, they had to be aware that it was going to come. And as we'll get to later on, when we study through the Scripture, when you get to Numbers 13, even though they disobey and they lack belief, and God punishes them and brings the consequences of wandering in the desert for 40 more years until one generation, the generation that came out of Egypt as adults, until all of them had passed away and their children and their children's children were the only one that was left. The blessing and the promise was not taken away. It had to be waited for, but it was still secured by God. They had to trust His provision through this time and they had to behold His presence. When we're being led by a wise Redeemer, we need to understand that God invites us every step of the way to follow Him, saying, trust My promise. Trust My provision. Follow My presence. The law of the Lord brings us deeper into that. It's an exercise for our faith. And lastly, we must love the words of the faithful Redeemer. Chapter 24, God re-declares His covenant to His people. He, he declares a covenant ceremony. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this down in, in tablets of stone. It is going to be there for you. And not only does He do that, He invites some of the elders, some of those that were appointed by Moses earlier, some of them appointed by their tribes, and he gives them a small glimpse of just a portion of who he is. Because God says, I want you to know that I am faithful to you. And I'm inviting you to understand what faithful fellowship looks like. And if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to love me, well, we're going to fast forward a couple 2,000 years. To a man named Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You'll listen to what I say. And you'll do it. Why? Because these things are not arbitrary. They're about a special covenant relationship that the Redeemer has with His Redeemer. They reveal something about the character of God. And when we filter them through the lens of, of, of the Gospel and what Jesus has done to accomplish, we see the, the, the merit that they have, but we see them in a new light and say, God, where I failed, You fulfilled. And I'm thankful for it. And though I may fail in this moment, it does not mean I, You are done with me. 
help me walk with you. It points us back to what Psalm 19 says about the commandments. That the instruction of the Lord is perfect. Renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. Making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. Making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant. Making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure. Enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. This is how the psalmist found the weight and the glory of what God had given us in His Word. I wonder, do we treasure it like that? And I say that in a, in a plural we, but I also have to bring that back to me. Do, do I treasure God's Word like that? Is that what it's worth to me? Because how I measure the worth of the Word measures far greater the worth of the Word speaker. And then I look back and I say, where I fail, God, thank you, that even though you did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, you came, did come to fulfill that's what Jesus told us. And as we look at what he's done, it points us back to why he did it. But the law of the Lord was a special covenant. No, we did not abide by it. He came to be that redeemer that goes beyond the law. Do you know him today? Do you know the ultimate redeemer? Do you know the one who fulfilled it for your sake? Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that as we come to this moment of response, that you would give us, you would give us the direction. Just as you gave the people of Israel the direction that they needed in their moment, at the Mount Sinai, as they were facing the, the next steps, God, you showed them what that looked like. And God, I pray that today, you would help us see what that looks like. To know what it means to trust and follow after you. God, for some in this room that might be trying to weigh in where they are and keeping your law, and that can be very daunting. Some may think there's just no way. Help them see the good news of the gospel that though they could not fulfill the law your sent son did. And he completed the price by not only living according to the law, but dying for our sin in our place. He lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we should have. And God, he made that available to all of us. And I pray that the soul that needs to hear that today and needs to trust in the Savior who died in their place and overcame the grave so they may have life. I pray you would help them to trust in Him. God, for those of us in this room that are battling with our next step with You, maybe we, we already know Your redemption, but somewhere along the way, God, our life has tried to tarnish it. And we've allowed that. God, clean that up. Show us with you there is forgiveness and, 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 and the cleansing of 
of all unrighteousness and help us to follow you in a new way today. And that's for all who are close and all who are far away. We all need that reminder. So Jesus, have your way in this moment. As we come to you, the fount of every incredible blessing, the giver of grace, the conqueror, the promiser, the provider, help us see you today in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed during this time.